0: Welcome back to the Spock of the Week archives. I'm your host, John, aka the Alba Android. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you are joining us again, thank you for coming back. Each week we are bringing you our archived YouTube videos in podcast form so that you can listen to it on the go, wherever you like, however you like. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Spock the Week. This time I am joined by not only our fellow co-host, Gregor Cameron, but his lovely assistant and loving partner, Sarah Adams. Welcome, Sarah. Yeah, lovely to be here. Fantastic. Sarah is also uh, uh, the USS Alba's resident memory alpha geek, so we'll expect a few uh, little factoids and exciting little... Tidbits throughout the show. As always, we will start with empathic episodes. Each selected a episode that uh, best reflects uh, Captain Picard, his style, his ship, and just him as a man, him as a character. So, without further ado, we're going to get into empathic episodes. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, Sarah and Gregor, you have both made your choices and I have made mine. We've all watched each other, as I'm uh, guessing. I'm hoping we've all watched our respective choices. I this know. is the bit where you nod, Sarah. Yep, right. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Gregor, Gregor, come on. clue her up, clue her up. Come on. Um, so, I think we'll start with Gregor's choice.
1: We will get into that. So, Gregor, please, the floor is yours. Okay, so um, yeah, I've gone and um, relatively early PNG in this one, and the episode I've gone for is an episode called Pen Pals. I think initially, when people think about pen pals, they probably associate it more with data than they do the card, um, but I'll go on to explain the reasons why I feel it's a really good and um, the card episode. So, the, the story is that an uh, enterprise is doing its thing or in strange new worlds and they pick up some anomalous geological readings from a system and they decide to go and investigate. While they're doing so, data hears a signal from someone and it's, the episode doesn't show you what happens next other than data picking up the signal from what could be presumably a pre-warped society. Anyway, so they've been in the system exploring it and doing their for about six weeks and Data decides to work to the holodeck when Picard's off duty and say that he had heard the signal six weeks earlier and then confesses to Picard that he's actually been communicating with the signal and it turns out to be a little girl on one of these planets which apparently is doomed because of the geological activity on planet. So obviously there's a potential prime directive violation there and this brings us into one of my all time, truly all time favourite Star Trek scenes. And it's a scene with the senior meeting staff who are discussing what to do next. Um, so Picard's there, Worf's there, Rikers there, Plaskies there, Deanna's there, and it's a fairly lengthy scene in the episode that they all discuss the implications of violating the prime directive, of not violating the Prime Directive, the importance of not violating the Prime Directive uh, and what the the implications would be personally and, you know, collectively. Uh, there's a great scene where Picard talks about a number of high in and summary warfs against. He says the crime director's is binary. There is no room for manoeuvre. Kraske, being the doctor, is very, very much for for interfering and rescuing the girl, if not trying to rescue the whole planet trying to solve the the geological problems. Um and dwarfs very against as I say. And then you know Picard introduces a a few hypothetical situations that the prime director should cover. And then suddenly doubts introduced to everyone's mind. And it's the, the sort of writing that I wish we were seeing more of. It's just a fantastic scene. So to close the that particular scene play back a message from the little girl whose name is Sargenka on the planet, basically pleading with data to come and help him. And Picard says well you're you know, your crying of the dark, suddenly become a plea for help and cannot be ignored. So they decide to explore the options. One of the things that comes out of this is they decide to give Wesley Crusher the the role of looking at the possibilities and leading a, a team to look at the, the geological anomalies in, in this system. So that's very much a V story, but since it's a Wesley part of the story, I'm not going to go any further than that. That's <laughs> well, Paul Wesley. Paul Wesley. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think, so we're, only, we're really about halfway through the episode now, and already we've seen Picard Acton as a, a true leader, taking into account everyone's opinion, everyone's ideas, and implications of what it does, not least of all, you know, what would the, the effect be on the, the crew if they, they let this young girl die without even trying to help. So, the data eventually does go down to the planet to really a message to Sardienka, something to do with the ionosphere not being able to get messages through, and he ends up beaming back the Enterprise with her, um, which is not something... Jean-Luc was very happy. He's already made reference to his first officer, and every time the, the situation escalates, he's, he's, we're up to here, we're up to here, and then eventually we're in over our heads with the Prime Director. But uh, fortunately, Wesley and his team by this point have worked out a way to calm the geological activity on the planet. They act on that, they managed to save the planet but obviously they still have the, the issue of uh, Sargenka being on the ship and with the memory of data and the memory of being um, on the ship so Jean-Luc talks with Pulaski to help get Sargenka's memory wiped um, of those memories, and then they take her back down to the planet, planet settlement, and and they sort of everyone lives happily ever after. But I thought the reason I picked it was that just demonstration of Picard as a truly great captain. You know, it's not an episode where there's a lot of action. It's very dialogue heavy. It's very subject matter heavy. He's not only being a captain, but you, you know, you see him being um, a human being the way. He's interacting with his first officer in private with what's going on the way. He's interacting with his senior staff in meetings and how he's dealing with it and the decisions that he has to make and the sheer responsibility that he has to his crew and um, the Prime Director and Staff think, From a perspective of watching Patrick Stewart do his stuff, that that whole discussion around the Prime Director absolutely nails on the head everything that that Star Trek should be about? I think that uh, was
0: definitely a good choice. I mean, I, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed watching it. I did like that the um, the two stories that were playing alongside each other and interrelated, um, both of them had elements of Jean-Luc Picard in them, where with Wesley, he was taking on his first command as, uh, as the leader of this scientific research group. And... When he was speaking to Riker, basically Riker said, "What well, this is what Picard does, you know. Do you, have you ever seen anybody doubt him? Have you, you know?" So there's that reference of how he is a role model for other people. And then, like I say, the what you I'm not going into it into detail because you already have. But the uh, second element of uh, Data's pen pal, which I thought was a uh, really, really good, because we do see a little bit of Data's. Um, especially when he's interacting with Worf and stuff like that, that sort of look of shock. And I, I love the way that Data emotes in this, in certain, ex, in certain elements. Uh, Sarah, your thoughts on this particular one? I really love the this, this story.
2: I mean, basically, this is Data having a bit of fun for a change, isn't it? Rather than being completely Android, he's basically humming around on a CB radio and seeing what's out there. And he's, 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 he's scanning this frequency, isn't he? Looking, looking for the anomalies mm-hmm. and then has a conversation with Worf and he says could you pick up other stuff and he starts to kind of tinker around with it which is something more playful for the data and also a bit where Worf trips over his tools and the, the kind of look that he, when he goes back he's like hmm um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't it did that bit I actually found the Wesley really really annoying which <laughs> I've because it's a bit hey, do you hear me? but there was one fun little factoid for you which you may have both missed But when Wesley goes to seek some advice from Riker the second time around, so he goes into Ten Forward to find him, and Riker's basically flirting away with some lovely lady who doesn't get it lucky that night, he actually performs the Riker manoeuvre. So as Wesley goes to sit down in the chair, he does the Riker manoeuvre, which, for those who don't know, is putting the leg over the back of the chair to sit down rather than the normal way of doing things.
0: I'm going to have to go back and watch that because I definitely did miss that.
2: I don't know whether that was some kind of he's trying to emulate Riker because he wants to be like Riker or if this was some kind of little skit that they had off the, you know, behind the scenes between Will Wheaton and, and Jonathan Frakes. But I did think it was rather... I want, wasn't
1: that we have shown that he's becoming more and more presence. Could could be, more command presence. could be. And I
2: did like Riker's little line of, you've got to ask yourself, what would Picard do? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great... Anybody, any, any kind of, in any kind of Maya, just think to yourself, what would Picard do? That's going to be your mantra, really, hasn't
0: it? Um, it's, it's one hell of a mantra to live by. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I also like the fact that when Theta comes to see Picard, so he comes straight into the... He's in the holodeck, isn't he? He's, he's on his, on on his, his horse. horse yeah. yeah, so he knows straight up there's something really bad if he's come to interrupt his uh, entertainment time. But it's the fact that he calls for the meeting in his own quarters. They don't go to his, you know, he has that conference room where they usually have big discussions. He actually goes to his private quarters. So this is a little bit like, okay, one of my staff who I value very much and is also a friend has made a really, really big doo-doo here and we need to sort it out off the record. So we're not going to do this kind of, you know, authoritative delay. We're going to actually just go, just, right, kids, let's get together in, in the bedroom and figure out what we can do about this. That's That's interesting and I also thought that Pulowski's change in attitude towards data was very interesting because war stands against it. it is kind of like nope it's kind prime directive absolutely it's just not happening and Polouski you know she even challenges Worf because there's that moment where Picard steps in about, the, about to have some kind of a, a ball, a bar brawl rather, um, because she says it's almost cowardly and you can see Worf just like the word cowardly and Picard's like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So it was interesting because Palausti had always seen Data as just a machine mm-hmm. and now she sees him as a, more of a human figure and stands with him. Yeah, so that was good. And I loved Picard's reaction to the, a child on my bridge. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) get, not to mention that. (laughs) And the fact he won't even look at the poor girl. You know, he's literally, because throughout that scene on the bridge, he's literally just not, uh,
0: just don't even look at it. It, This thing is on my bridge. I mean, you just got to look at, uh, I mean, that particular moment is a brilliant example of Patrick Stewart's acting uh Rage, yeah. you know, you can you, you can see even before he says anything, you can see the look of disdain and anger, you know, just watching over of
2: it? It's like because he said in the very beginning in the in, I think it's in the pilot episode where he says to number one, You I I don't work well with children, you need to help me out with when there's children involved because there are now, this is a whole new thing for the enterprises that we've got kids on board mm-hmm. whereas we didn't previously.
0: I mean, if anybody hasn't done it yet, have a read of this, and it will explain everything you need to know about why he doesn't like doesn't like children on the bridge. It's a very good, a very good one, that one. So Sarah, yeah, you made a choice as well. So please, yeah, uh... I've not finished
2: yet. Not finished yet. I've, you, you've
0: not had my factoid yet. Oh well. <laughs> hey, first time on the show, and she's dictating how things are. <laughs> right. Little
2: bit of trivia for you about this episode, Picard trivia, right? This is actually the first time you see Captain Picard actually drinking a cup of Earl Grey tea.
1: All right, okay, so...
2: This is his drink of choice, but you never actually see him getting one because apparently in Contagion, he asks for a cup of Earl Grey, but because there's some kind of problem with the replicator, what he gets is a potted plant. And in this episode, oh. he goes to the replicator asks for an Earl Grey tea pot and he actually gets it. So this is the first time we see it. We're in season two his favourite tipple, and he's only just getting it now.
0: All right, oh, fantastic. And uh, may I just remind you that you are not uh, hosting Marooned on Setia Alpha 5 at this present moment in time, so know your place.
2: (laughs) Can I finish? Can I finish?
0: Yes, you may finish. I'm finished. It's all right, Gregor, you have to... I'm I'm in a completely different house, so it's...
2: (laughs) Right, I I think that was me. Well, the only other thing I would say is that I did think it was really sweet, that Data actually there's a stone that she picks up in um, the sick bay. Yes. It's kind of a singing stone. And I love that little bit where she, it sing, sings a different song for every person, and she says, well, why what's it sing for you? And he says, it doesn't, because I'm a machine. And she doesn't even think of him as a machine. And then the fact that he leaves the stone with her, although her memories are wiped, which we'll mm. not get into the whole how convenient was it that her brain functioned the same as humans does and they managed to wipe the memory, but... Yeah fits the story so we won't go there nitpicking too much um, but it was really sweet that he left the stone and then when he says to Picard afterwards you know she won't remember me but I remember and that's enough and Picard says well Data that's you becoming one step closer to being human
0: I thought that was a very poetic moment to be fair
2: and it was just okay, all the way through there is this you know Data looks to Picard all the way through about trying to be more human it comes up again in Unification, it comes up again in the movies when he puts his motion chip in, and it's always Picard seems to be his kind of father figure, doesn't it? it comes up in the scene in Nemesis as well, which was actually wrongfully cut from the movie, but you can watch it if you get the DVD extras.
0: There you go, folks. You heard it here first.
2: Yeah. So, um,
0: any more factoids on the Gregor's choice? <laughs> well, luckily for you, your choice is the second. Different opinion, you know. I'm just keeping my head down. <laughs> Gregor, coward. <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't make a very good Klingon, let's be honest with you, Gregor. Um, well, anyway, to be fair, your choice is the second choice, Sarah, so please, do continue. It is, so it's season four, episode
2: 21, and the episode is called The Drumhead. Uh, now, factoid, not really a Star trek factoid, but drumhead, it actually refers to a very archaic form of a court-martial they used to basically use a drum head for the judge's seat and usually this is this is a kind of a parody really of of any kind of a court martial trial because usually it's the case that the guy's already guilty and they're going through the motions for it so that's pretty much reflective of what happens in the episode but I liked this one in particular because it fits in with what's going on at the moment in terms of the whole witch hunt and shall we say leadership of certain countries at the moment uh, seem to be kind Of reflected in this episode, sadly, and um, even though we're 30 odd years on, it's still happening. Interesting, this is also di- directed by Jonathan Freaks, who's a damn fine director as well as an actor it's a ship in a bottle show i always think that with the ship in a bottle shows they have to try that bit harder because they haven't got fancy sets and lots of gunfire and things like this so there's there's going to be a bit more the focus is mainly on the dialogue and the drama and i think the dialogue in this one is absolutely incredible so we we open up with an investigation following an explosion which um leads to a conspiracy being uncovered and we, we get um possibly the best guest star ever, Gene Simmons. Yes. I mean, seriously, apparently she was actually a Star Trek fan and had been wanting a guest appearance for quite a number of years. So she comes in as a retired Admiral Siti to lead an investigation or any further conspiracies. And she's basically, what, what, what can we say, she's woman's crazy um paranoia has led led to her just going literally around the bend and she's seeing conspiracy theories everywhere she's accusing wharf she's accusing picard at some point she's just literally seeing things that just don't exist. And she's going after people as well for things like Birthright, because we find out that one of the characters isn't actually, in fact, part Vulcan, he's part Romulan. So that obviously makes him guilty by virtue of his heritage, isn't the case, as we know. And in the end, the the best scene of it is the bit where Picard just takes her down. But literally, he never raises his voice. He doesn't change his tone. And he actually recites her own father's words back at her. And she just has a complete and utter meltdown to the point where her senior officer, who's come in to kind of oversee things and say, well, there's something really badly going on. He doesn't even say a word. He just gets up, walks out and the whole thing's off. Because that poor guy lost out on some money there because he had a
0: non-speaking part in the end. And ironically, (laughs) ironically, it was the part that said the most about the scene as well, (laughs) to be fair. Yeah, and I, I just think that's amazing how
2: he, he just he does that so calmly and delivers it so well, and the way he's, he's he's twisted it back on her, and he never loses his temper where she is going completely crazy the whole way through, and she's bringing Worf even she, she she turns Worf into believing that Picard's actually a part of the conspiracy as well, because at the very end Worf reflects with Picard after and says, well I'm really sorry I even got sucked into it like I feel like a sheep now, but shows how easy it is for all of us to get sucked into this kind of nonsense that they, they feed us. And I, I love the fact that, yeah, it's 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 an awful lot about the, well, basically based on the McCarthy trials, isn't it, of America from way back. But it, it's that, it's sacrificing freedom for security. It's it's that, that problem that, that's at the crux of it. And that's what's certainly happening in the world today. And that's why I think there's a kind of a thread with what's going on right now and a really good Picard moment in that he, just pulls the rug from under in such a brilliant way.
0: Yeah, it was, like I say, once again, it was a brilliant, brilliant choice. And amazingly so, like you say, so relevant for the world today in how it's so easy just to get swept up in with, like you say, it's just so easy. Um, but uh, Gregor, if you want to start off on this one, uh, your thought?
1: Yeah, well, it is one of my favourite episodes um, of any series. Anyway, the drumhead. You know, that's the, you know, going into the psychological of it. You know, the confirmation bias that she uses when dealing with um, Tarsus. He, he lied, and he's a Romulan, therefore he's guilty. Mm-hmm. And then she uses Worf's prejudice towards Romulans to uh, get him on, on her side as well. And he very enthusiastically <laughs> plays the role in the investigation that she wants him to to play. Um, whereas the crabs going through it very logically, you know, only making decisions based on the evidence that's in front of them. they you know then eventually get into the warp core and they find out that it was micro cracks in, in the metal. That it was an accident. Therefore, the fact that the the Klingon botanist that was on board, I think he was a botanist, wasn't he? Senior biologist. Senior biologist, xenobiologist. Yeah. So while he was actually spying. He wasn't guilty of the crime that they initially um, thought he was. So Picard using, you know, not using confirmation bias to link facts together, whereas she does, and that's this, you know, big difference between the process he's going through in the episode and the process that uh, Admiral Satie is going through in the episode as well and sort of taking the emotion out of it. Even though Picard passionately believes what he's doing, he takes the emotion out of the evidence. And obviously we are given as Sarah's already pointed out, one of the truly great Picard speeches of any episode mm. in the entire seven seasons that we see. And, of course, my absolutely iconic meme.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh God, I mean, if only we had the, uh, that would be an interesting figure to find out how many times that thing has been used over the years. I mean, that has got to be one of the, I mean, even non-Star Trek fans use that. It's, <laughs> yeah,
2: and um, but interesting factoid because mm-hmm. there is one coming. I've, I've got I've got a factoid for you. So one of the things that she goes after Picard for, which I found very very stark at the time actually, is that she references he's violated the Prime Directive nine times, including obviously she references mm-hmm. back pen pals. Mm-hmm she references obviously Borg assimilation as well, but nine violations of the Prime Directive, that seems like rather a lot. And he does go on to do it even more times than that, but you'd think that something like the Prime Directive, which is like, you're literally your General Order One, it's the Starship Captain's equivalent of the Hippocratic Oath. And even at one point, Kirk says that a Starship Captain most solemn oath is that he will give his life, or the life of his crew, rather than violate the Prime Directive. Interestingly though, he's not the only one. I mean, do you know how, many? who do you think actually violated the Prime
0: Directive more times? I was going to say, I was going to go out on Janeway. It's actually not. Oh, Uh, you're going to say Cisco, aren't you?
2: No, Cisco was the least. Oh, okay. Uh, You you might think certainly in Pale Moon like that was a really massive violation. No spoilers, but there is a violation of Prime directed Big Style. No, I think on the tally, it was actually Kirk and Picard. It depends on whether we're talking about having bent it or having done it with the best intentions, but they were about level pegging, actually.
1: Yeah, but Picard had 170 odd episodes and Kirk had less than half that.
2: Fair enough, actually gets off with it because he, there was no prime directive. So.
0: So in that case then, then Kirk's the winner on that one because the clickers, you know, if you look at it relatively speaking, you just said over a longer period of time, over a shorter period of time. But maybe Kirk cleaned up his act later on and went, went for it, you know. Um.
1: Well, there is a lot of episodes in the original series where starship, all our starship captains have gone rogue on a planet. yeah, And they've turned it into the Roman Empire, or Nazis, or gangsters, or...
2: Interestingly, uh, though, even if you just go up as far as Starfleet, though, I mean, insurrection is based pretty much on the premise of Starfleet violating their own prime directive.
0: Well, and, you know, this... Uh, I mean, this is a debate we can get into later on, and we, we will, so i move nicely on. The... For me, that episode was rather compelling. You see a lot of a lot of Picard come out in this one, like you say with the speeches. I mean, I agree with that being the, one of the best speeches that he gave when he recited uh, Sati's own father's words back to him. Uh, I mean, the close second has to be the the line in First Contact, where we see, you know, some real emotion from Picard in that one. But, but yeah, I agree with you on that one. For me, it was the whole, you've seen how he, he he could tell from the start that he was he was like, something's not quite right here. Something's not quite right. And he was a man of, his, you know, he, he followed it through. He never got swept up in it like everybody else did. We also see him eat a little bit of humble pie, not, a huge slice, but a little bit because he was calling out Sathy on the use of beta zoid in the you know in the interrogations, and she quite you know very quickly spun that round and said, well, you've got a beta zoid as a counsellor. So, well, yeah. I said, well, yes. Does she is she involved in meetings? Is she involved in decision making? Yeah. Do you consult with her? Yeah, but not in a. And I went, mm, okay, maybe I have to change my ways on that one. And like I say, it's a very small bit, but it's it's a little. Just a little dig, uh, and but you see how he handles that, and he handles it really well. The thing for me with it is, like I say, is how it re- you know really sort of stands its ground as a as a standalone episode and an episode d- today. You could watch that, like I say, today, and you could see how you know uh, you can interpret it in a way that's relevant to today. Also, I like I like to see I'm I'm liking the bit with Worf, because every now and again, a couple of times during the episode, you see him like you know his. It's like the dog on the end of a leash, you know, he's like, he wants to go after, you know, <laughs> you know, you just see him getting angry at the the Romulan references for his father, you know, the fact that um, the xenobiologist was a spy, you know, dishonourable, stuff like that. Um, you do see a little bit of that, and it's not too much warf, but it's just enough to remind you of who he is, because I think he does get sort of put to one side a lot in, in TNG, you know, it's like he's a Klingon, for God's sake, you know, and he's sat, you know, uh, but definitely, definitely enjoyed that episode, and a very, very good choice. I mean, to be fair, I mean, everything you guys have said already, I, I could repeat, and I agree with you completely on that one, so like I say, that's why I'm not too... Um, Commentative on this one but uh, bringing me nicely onto the third episode so yeah so um our third choice uh, my third choice is chain of command which is a two-part episode and um, uh, basically the I'll keep it as brief as possible because with it being a two-part episode it's basically the uh, enterprise uh, meets up with fellowship which I think is the cairo I believe off the top of my head. Sarah might be able to sort of uh, confirm that for me in the short while. But yeah, they meet up and we meet Captain Jellicoe, who again is uh, somebody that is a subject of quite a few memes at the moment. if anybody's on Twitter, you'll have seen them flying about. But yeah, we meet Captain Jellicoe uh, and we find that Picard gets the command of the Enterprise taken off him and handed over to Jellicoe. We do initially know that there is something uh, up, that Picard is up to something, and he is up to something with Beverly Crusher and Worf. What they are doing is they are infiltrating, uh, and I will use the word infiltrating because Picard uses the word penetrate. Well, you've used uh, the
1: cards up to something with Crusher and War and Penetrate and Integrate. I mean, this is...
0: Yeah, am I going to have to do a third take on this?
1: No, just leave that in there. Oh, Matron. Oh, Matron.
0: Behave yourself, boy. They're on this covert mission uh, to basically find and destroy a weapon, um, some form of biological weapon, the name, the type of which escapes me just at this moment. And whilst this is going off, the crew of the Enterprise have no knowledge of this. So Riker has no knowledge, Data has no knowledge. Nobody has no knowledge of what uh, Picard is involved with. So Jellicoe has taken over the Enterprise because he's going to uh, negotiate with the Cardassians over rumours that they are massing forces on the border with the Federation. And that doesn't particularly go well because the secret mission that Picard Beverly and Worf are all on is indeed a trap engineered by the Kardashians to capture Jean-Luc Picard in the misguided belief that he has the defense plans for a particular planet that the Kardashians want to invade. And it's at that point we get... The famous scene you know how many lights are there it's that particular point where it starts to get really interesting for Picard because we we see this we really do see the humanity there because he is tortured coerced basically sort of repeatedly asked how many lights there are is this for no there isn't and repeatedly asked for information repeatedly belittled by the kardashians and stuff like and you see that he manages to keep you know keep his convictions but you see the humanity and the pain and the emotion come out in picard and it's without like i say um i really enjoyed it because you really did you get to see picard literally in the flesh literally Laid bare emotions, everything. Um, you also get to see a comparison, and it's one of the few times I think you actually get to see a direct comparison in the leadership style of Picard, because when Jellico takes over, you immediately see a difference in command style, in attitudes, in the way, and you see that in the reaction of the crew, of Riker, of uh, Diana Troy. and you get to see that, and as a as, a, as you watch it, you think this doesn't feel right, and you you feel uneasy with the crew, and that's why I like like you know, like the uh, like this particular episode. Sarah probably has a little bit more factual information on this than I do, and I've deliberately done that because, like I say, you are the master of memory alpha for our for our crew, so I'm sure you'll you'll pick up on a few interesting points there. So what I forgot to mention was that while while they were on the planet, they they were sort of infiltrating this uh, facility, and they discover that it was indeed a trap. Beverly and Worf do indeed get out. Picard is captured. Uh, as I mentioned, and it's it's really good. I mean, the acting talent in there is brilliant. I'm probably not doing this thing justice, but I really enjoyed it. so I'm gonna pass over to Sarah and let you sort of take up the technical elements of this and your opinions on my choice
2: okay well, I'll go a t- question for both of you and and I hope when Jellicoe takes over, so he actually gets drafted in to take over, so Picard's sent on this secret top secret mission mm-hmm. and Jellico comes in as command. Which I've got a little bit of a problem with because I'm surprised that they couldn't just promote Riker because he's a good negotiator. So, but that's a, that's an aside. Um, so yeah, Jellicoe comes in first. One of the first things he says is, "Get rid of the fish." Now he's referring to the pet fish in Picard's ready room. Yes. What is the name of the fish?
1: Livingston.
2: Well done. Brownie points for Gregor. Sure. It's off. called Livingston. Yeah. The fish does actually come back afterwards. It, they didn't get rid of it altogether. It, it gets resurrected. And just as a, a just as a real-life a real bit of um, trivia for you, Livingston the Fish actually has a Twitter handle. Yeah, okay. I follow him on Twitter. He posts some quite amusing stuff every now and again, but there you go. Greg, I may remember this one, but actually we were at the 50th anniversary convention in Las Vegas for Star Trek. And we were actually in a room where they were voting the top ten Star Trek episodes of all time, and this one was voted seventh.
0: I would have voted yeah. it number one, to be fair, but uh,
2: well, yes, <laughs> it was on City on the Edge of Forever. And it, it did have uh, some of the other ones that were involved. There was the Magnificent Ferengi, and um, Amira
1: Darkly.
2: Amira Darkly was there. City on the Edge of Forever, A Mock Time. It was up against some pretty top-class episodes, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't
2: argue with that. It's done well to get seven. Um, but I also wonder, another question for you. there There is a, a very strong reference when the, how many lights are there to a very dystopian novel produced by an English writer some years ago. Does anybody know what that link is? Mm. I'm
0: going to guess it's by totally the fine. silence, no.
2: It's also a little bit relevant as well. It's, it's actually George Orwell's 1984 the main character, Winston, gets tortured at the close towards the end of the novel. And the guy torturing him basically says, how many fingers am I holding up? How many fingers am I holding up? How many fingers am I holding up? I holding up? And he eventually breaks and, and says five. So that's where that comes from. Another interesting fact, which I, I do like this this particular change, actually, is that when Jellicoe is being briefed by Councillor Troy, about the, the kind of the changes, and he says he wants to go over the the crew manifest and the kind of the shifts and all this kind of stuff. And then it's just as she's leaving, he says, oh, "One thing I like a level of decorum. I want you wearing a uniform whenever you're on duty." And she actually sticks with that after that episode which apparently we were just listening to an interview with Marina Certis a few weeks ago and she said she loved the fact that they did that because up until then she'd just been this bit of totty that's floating around mm-hmm. but she was actually a commissioned officer and she does. And, and further on episode, she does actually get her bridge qualification as a bridge officer, just as Beverly had before her. So the fact that she changes into uniform actually just brings home to people that, no, actually I am a member of Starfleet, I'm not just this slower lady who bounces around in ship on and says nice things about people's feelings. That's your, your factoid things, Um, other than that, just an interesting fact is that the chap who played, now Greg will keep me right, the chap who plays the girl who's torturing Picard, okay. the actor is called
1: David Warner.
2: David Warner, is a Shakespearean actor who'd actually played with Patrick Stewart previously and they both actually played characters in Christmas Carol.
0: You definitely get that that vibe in the scenes yes. and you, you get that sort of, the because there's that mutual respect as actors off screen, you get that conveyed in the sort of the dynamic between the two of them on screen as well. I just, personally, I just love his voice. I think he you know, he's got such a lovely wife, you know. he's
2: quite chilling, actually. I mean, the bit where he's talking to his daughter, cause he brings his daughter into the... the yeah, into the, yeah, and I and mean... Is, oh, my God. And then when she kind of says, you know, do humans have mummies and daddies like me? And he's like, oh, but they're not like us. They don't love their children like we do. And it's kind of like, oh, sorry, sorry, what? And you can literally see the Nazis being portrayed... Sorry, the Cardassians being portrayed as the Nazis of Star Trek. This is the... the kind of one of the, the first glimpses we really get into them but they are literally, certainly when he talks about being a kid and he's starving on the streets and he gets the egg and somebody steals it from him and then he's, he's kind of like ever since then we've never gone hungry, we've terrorized other people, we've, we've claimed land, we've mined this, we've done that, but it's very much like the, the that, that rise after the, the First World War of, of Germany and the leadership of um, you shall not be named. So, yeah, I, I find them really, really chilling.
1: Well, also, interestingly, David Warner yeah. played two different characters in two different Star Trek films. Yes. Okay. He played, he played the Federation Envoy in Star Trek V, the one on number 3, oh. and he played Chancellor Gorkum in That's... Undiscovered Country. So, there
0: you go, guys. So, Gregor, your you thoughts?
1: You know, uh, again, another episode that features very highly on my all-time list. Uh, I think from a viewer's perspective, just to watch these two Shakespearean actors who have known each other in real life and worked with each other in real life for a number of years, to watch them and essentially a, a, a Shakespearean um, tale of uh, dominance, um, one trying to get the love to submit another refusal to submit a fantastic piece of writing a fantastic piece of acting and you know it's just an absolute joy to watch and again demonstrates you don't need fancy special effects and lens flare to make something really great it,
2: it's all about dialogue I have just remembered a fascinating fact that I read just before this um, in actual fact you may not be aware but David Warner actually got the part three days before they were shooting the episode. So he had to really speedily learn the script. Now, part of the way he did it was by having cue cards placed on set to help him out, which actually really lended itself really well to the scene because what he's actually doing is this this whole dehumanising Picard. He's very like, you don't have clothes, you don't have a name anymore. I'm dehumanising you in any way possible and I'm treating you as a thing. And one of the things the, the cue cards were placed usually over patrick stewart's shoulder so that he could read them but be kind of like looking in his direction but not at him but it just really lends the bit to his like not looking at this thing on the floor because i'm dehumanizing but actually it was to do with the cue cards i mean you would never
0: know that you would never know that looking at the, the, the
2: he's um... a good stage actor so he'll be used to you know ad- adapting and the, the, the cards there and it's true but it just kind of almost
0: helps it a little bit that he's not then looking at him i mean one of the one of the things that's just like i say popped into my head when i was watching it i was thinking this is what this is what the picard series could have been Mm. because we've got an episode where picard is leading from the front he is the center of attention but you see that vulnerability which is something they bring into picard a little bit but you see that in a way where he doesn't lose his authoritative center stage figure from the show, and it, it just felt from the get-go that this is this is what a story about Picard should be. This is what uh, you know. This, uh, and then again, like I say, that's my personal opinion. I mean, um, I I do enjoy Picard, so I'm, I'm not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a brilliant, brilliant episode. I, like I say, I think it was it showed. I think it really, really did show. Picard's humanity, both by comparing his command style and proving that he is just another human being. Because at the very end of the episode, as he's been led out of the interrogation room, you know, he, he said, you know, he screams with the ultimate pass, there are four lights. But when, he, when you see him later on at the very, very end, speaking to Deanna, he basically said at the end of it, I says, I was, he offered me a life of comfort and or a, com- or a life of torture. And for a split second, I was so almost ready to say, there are five lights, you know, cause that's all he wanted, they wanted wanted him to do. You know, he was like, I was almost tempted to say there were five lights and implying that he, he would... actually,
2: He actually see I'll just correct you there. Cause what he actually sees, the, I, I love the moment in particular, just to go back to a moments in my mind, is the, the bit where he actually looks so smug when he says, you just called me Picard. Yeah, so he yeah, was, yeah. He looks so yeah, In the face of his torture. But what he actually says to Diana. Is that they offered me a life of comfort if I'd just give in and say there's five lights. And, and she's like, But you didn't? And he said, No, but you know what? At one point, I thought I saw five lights. So he's not willing to say it. He, he, he's never given in at any point, but he says at one point, he thinks he sees five lights because okay, they are yeah, yeah. that much that he actually started to hallucinate and think maybe they really are because that's how they do it. That's, that is the nature of the torture, it just breaks people. But unfortunately, as it's been proven time and again, it, it's pointless because they get they get nothing out of him either. Because they're, they're trying to get out of him, they think he's got plans for um, say the de- defence plans, isn't it? Yeah, they the plans enter- to mount attack and they the, think have to. Enterprise,
1: plans. The Enterprise is the flagship of the fashion. so they think if they can get information out of the card when they do invade Federation space, they'll, they'll have a tactical advantage due to the information that they would have. Gained from him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think actually the, the scene that you're referring to when he says he calls him Picard, I think that's a fantastic scene at the end where essentially the Cardassian master plan has failed and they're going to have to return Picard to Starfleet um, But the reward that character, his pride gets the better of him. Mm-hmm. And while the guards are coming to to get Picard to take him to a shuttle to return him to Starfleet, he's still determined to get him to say there are five lights. And that, you know, that what's still going on, you know, there's no advantage anymore to get him to say there are five lights. They're not, you know, not going to get anything out of it, other than he's broken him and he fails to break him.
0: I say it was the uh, the emotion, just pure and quintessential Patrick Stewart right there. Um, And I think that was, for me at least, um do we have any uh, last questions? Yeah, moment. Moment, there's a there's a moment where we were in, in Vegas.
2: Brilliant by the way. Um I can't remember if it was the first or the second time we were there, but they basically in the foyer area they're they're replaying clips of Star Trek episode and it's just on a loop and they they had that one up and there's a little crowd gathered around and it's come to the bit at the very end where he's gonna be dragged away and he, he goes to yell out there at there there, ah, four lights and everybody in the crowd just shouts Yes, yes, you're him! <laughs> <laughs> you you, like you, you definitely get that vibe from just watching it at home as well. <laughs> yeah, there's a small crowd of people and there's deadly silence because normally this is just this just wallpaper that they've got hanging around, you know, but there's this big group gathered around and it's coming to that pivotal moment there's just deadly silence while he sees it. Up until then everybody's murmuring about where you're going next, but and then he sees that deadly science, and then just this big eruption of cheer, and it, it was it was fantastic. It, it's great that it has such meaning to people as well.
0: When I was trying to pick an episode, I mean, when you pick, I mean, when you pick an episode of TNG uh, about Picard, it's a difficult one to pick because there are so many choices you could pick from. I mean, it's a case of. Everybody has a different thing they take away from the characters. So everybody would pick a different one. So I was a bit of a loose end as to what episode I was going to pick. And I had a few shortlisted. But I used Twitter and put out, you know, let's have a, you know, what's your best episode? What would you recommend? And this particular episode was uh, picked... Uh, or suggested by Dan Decker. So I have to say thank you for making that suggestion because that is the one that I went with. I'm glad that I did uh, because it's been a long time since I've seen that episode. Definitely credit where credit's due. It wasn't my original choice, it was one of the choices, but it was the one I went with. And like I say, it came from Dan Decker. So thank you very much, Dan. Much appreciated. Awesome.
2: So, man, it mean, doesn't make it for me. Tapestry was another one on my short list. Which I think is a really interesting one—a good play between Q and Picard, and the kind of like the whole element of risk. But uh, I thought that Drumhead ties in quite well with what's going on right now.
1: Oh, good, all good things.
2: All good things is a great episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, Q cues in with that one. But uh, yeah, I think the three that we've got here are all quite relevant to what's
0: happening in the here and now. It's funny you should mention All Good Things because uh, I do have the sh- the ship behind me. The Louis Pasteur. Yes, somewhere, but it's in there.
2: Yeah, that was the one. Crusher was captain of. Um, but yeah, it's
0: any honourable mentions other than the ones. Uh, so we've uh, got all good things and a few others. Any other honourable mentions, Greta? You usually have a, f- a few for. I
1: her. think it's one of the ones. Best of both worlds is obviously the like, Picard episode. I
2: think it was more of a Riker episode actually, mm-hmm. because yeah, mm. the Picard becomes Borg, um, but it's it's really how Riker and. Um, Shelby, it's 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 how they cope without the, the figurehead, really. I mm. thought that on on my shortlist was also I Borg, because that one was a fascinating study in Picard's being a Borg, and I love the, the 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 scene between him and Hugh. So Picard, he's had nothing to do with, the, with this Borg they've rescued up until this point, and then he interviews him as the Cushus and he he says this shit will be assimilated, Jody will be assimilated. And it's when Hugh says, I don't want that. And that moment where Picard's like, Right, no, actually, he's not a book. And there's this huge turnaround. And even Gaina, who's obviously her entire home world's been assimilated by the book, she turns around on, on that one as well. I, I, I really enjoyed that one, but there was, um, I, I, it was just that scene mm-hmm. at the end of Trump just, a
1: few. Gambit. Yes. Big Picard one. Um, yeah. Family's a big Picard one. Sarek. Unification.
2: Unification yeah. is a huge one. That's, that's a lovely scene between Spock and Data talking about
0: Picard. There yeah,
1: Captain's Captain.
0: Holiday. That's a good fun one. That is a good fun one. Cupid. could. A, uh, a good example of how, like I say, that you could just, you could rail off so many episodes. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but
2: there's just, just so many. He's, he's, he's been such yeah. uh, an, an amazing, amazing figure. Yeah, but, uh, great role model. What would Picard do?
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that brings us to the uh, to the end of part one of our Empathic episodes. And so we're going to move on now to our next segment, which is Fire at Will. Uh, so we'll be back uh, in part two. Uh, please join we're us there.
2: We're going to take a tea break with my lovely USS Alba mug, which is available from your Quartermaster store.
0: Oh, shameless plug. I know. Thank you for listening to the Spockle Week Archives. Please consider subscribing to the podcast on the Catcher that you're listening to. And also, if you wish to support our work, you can do so at our Patreon site, www.patreon.com forward slash Part two of this episode will be with you next week, so please join us again, and thank you for listening.